some said they couldn't do it. Even more said they probably shouldn't. But here they are, bringing you another episode of the Happy Zen Podcast. Welcome your hosts, Adam and Matt. Hey guys, Matt here. Flying solo for today's intro to this episode. Adam's feeling a little under the weather, and we really wanted to get this out as quickly as possible because this is a very special interview episode that we're super proud of, super excited to share with you with a really awesome guest. Uh, A guest that is in a field that certainly when we were going to school just wasn't something that was on our radar. It wasn't something that was possible. Uh, When Adam and I were growing up, and most Sennials were growing up in the late 70s and into the 80s, the video gaming culture wasn't what it is today. There was definitely a negative stigma around playing video games. You didn't talk at school about playing video games, except maybe to your select few friends who were into it as well. Uh, Your parents didn't want you sitting in front of the TV playing, you know, video games for too long. It wasn't mainstream. It wasn't something everybody was doing. But now, you know, you flash forward to 2020, and it seems that, you know, kids and parents and grandparents are playing games on phones and tablets and consoles and PCs. It's everywhere. And not only playing games, but watching games. Things like Twitch and streaming on YouTube and Facebook are incredibly popular now. People watching professional video game players uh, in esports, and it's competing with traditional sports, sports that you know we would have grown up with. This is a field that even five, ten years ago would was barely on the radar, but now we got to sit down with our guest in this episode, Sarah Wegg, who is the manager of the Durham College Esports Arena in Oshawa, Ontario. She's the manager of a building on a college campus completely dedicated to all things video gaming. They have consoles, various consoles. They have PCs. They have screens up for production. They do live streaming. Uh, You know, Sarah's going to explain this way better than I am. But when we walked into this facility, it was mind-blowing to us. We We couldn't possibly fathom that this was something that was in a higher education facility. And yet it's starting to become something that of uh, of a norm it's something that is spreading relatively fast and sarah will explain this all to you in the interview but we talk about uh just gaming in general and and that stigma around gaming and how that's changed the the business of esports and not just the professional players but those other careers that have come up around it and how that's changing and how there are college programs now that feed into this it's an amazing world, something that we're both super jealous of. We learned so much in this interview, and we're just really, really happy to be able to share it with you. And we thank Sarah for joining us. She was a great guest. So please listen up. You're going to learn something. You're going to be entertained. And that's it. Enjoy. We are doing something a little bit different. We told you, or Matt promised you, and he's held me to, that we're going to do this, and I'm glad he does. We're going to get some interviews. Get way more interviews. Some of the best shows we've had are interviews, because quite frankly, I don't know if you listen for us or the people we're bringing on. 
In this case, I hope you're listening for the people we're bringing on because we have a spectacular guest here today who has given us the courtesy of her time and her office at an actual professional location, not just over Skype. So this is pretty cool. Where are we? We are at the Durham College Esports Arena, which is the first and only one I've ever been to. I don't know about yourself. I was going to say first one that ever existed, but I'm pretty sure that's wrong. Well, I guess we'll find out. Yeah, fair enough. So today we have Sarah Wagg, and she is the manager of the esports arena. Hello, Sarah. Thank you for your time. Thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to talk a little bit about esports. Awesome. So, Sarah, were you a gamer growing up? Is this something that you've always done, or is this something that you have only more recently gotten into? It's something that I've always been a very big fan of. I remember my first ever game was Sonic on the Genesis. My parents had it laying around in the basement. I was like, what is this thing? You guys are having fun. I want to have fun. So it's something that you intuitively know how to play the simple games. You press a button, it starts to do something. So you start learning about how you're playing these games. And once you beat a game, there's that challenge to go on to the next one. So it's something that's always carried through me. And I've gone through a couple different genres and never really settled on one. So I like to think I try a little bit of everything just so I have a, a good understanding, especially with the career that I'm in. Now, are you, um, like, did you have any brothers or sisters that you played with or was it just yourself? Growing up, it was me and my little sister. She liked to mimic everything that I did. Mm-hmm. So naturally, she got into video games. When I turned about eight, my mother remarried, and I ended up with two little brothers as well. So we were a family of four, leaning towards games like Mario Kart and Smash Ultimate that did have that multiplayer functionality. Um, The older of us, myself, and the older brother, but still younger than me, leaned toward the FPS games that the little ones shied away from. They liked the Zelda series, the little more fantasy-style playthrough. Absolutely. And we definitely went for the, the more mature games. (laughs) <laughs> that's called getting your aggression out but it's alright I've watched my kids go from that age too it was like puzzles and fun and now everything they got this silly goat thing they downloaded for the PS4 oh the goat simulator that's ridiculous anyway. simulator is a loose term in that game but yes yeah you're just trying to kill goats right or go to people with goats sorry I, I kill might be a strong word but yes no that's not what I hear coming out of the bedroom so <laughs> needless to say now did you have like was the first person games like your a favorite genre for you or did you have like one game that you consistently went back to or as you said you just kind of bounced from game to game whatever was new when i was younger i was very big into the xbox so mm. i loved the halo series and i followed that all the way through so even in the current day and age they just remastered it all for pc so now i can go back and play all those childhood games and experience it with my current friends yeah that's very cool Going through PC game titles, I have a love-hate relationship with MapleStory. It's something I started in elementary school, and every couple years I go back to it, and I just for some reason can't shake that game. Even now, I can think of all the theme songs and different area maps and classes you can play, so it's something that I'll always like. We definitely were playing a lot of uh, the original Xbox, and we actually used to wire land games up just oh. ethernet cables from room Listen, to room we walked it downstairs we we're gonna get to downstairs in a second so downstairs is the actual esport arena and i walked in and i can feel my back and neck hurting from having to carry my pc from my house to his house to actually hook them up with a land cable to play video games needless to say we were ahead of our time oh well, yeah that was unfortunately more or less pre-useful internet yeah it's not to say we didn't play dial-up games oh Painstaking. A lot of Duke Nukem, Warcraft 2, that kind of thing. The originating of the series. But this eSport arena, like how how did Durham College make this decision to get to this type of investment? I mean, and how many, 
let's get into the nuances. Like, how many computers are downstairs? Like, what's the setup look like? Try to describe it for the listeners a little bit. Give us, us the elevator pitch. Yeah. The elevator pitch of what we've currently got in the esports arena. So first and foremost, it's for the students. It's a student experience on a college campus. We've got 46 high-end gaming PCs, but we also want to cater to the console players. So we've got PlayStation 4s, Xbox Ones. We've got a Nintendo Switch. We've also got a broadcast setup, so whenever we run live events within the arena, we can also broadcast it to those who weren't able to come and make it out to the event. With all the things we have in the arena, it's great for our varsity esports athletes. We have seven official esports teams that compete against over 330 other North American wide teams for scholarship money. It's amazing how much you can win in a collegiate market. Even just last year, Western University came second place in the North American League of Legends finals. The team made 75000 Canadian dollars. Wow. Now, you're over here writing notes after notes after Losing notes. Losing my mind. Your mind is yeah, being blown. Yeah. See, I had a little bit of context on this. school. That's what I realized. Yeah. Uh, so I imagine you probably have some questions. Well, okay. First of all, <laughs> like, yeah, millions of million questions. Like the PCs. Downstairs, you were um, helping share how some of this got kickstarted. So... Take me to the craziness that ensued convincing someone out of college to turn this space into the eSport arena we have in front of us. Well, yeah, and were you involved with that? It's a very long origin story. It started probably about, oh goodness, Land War was a club on campus. Back in the day, Ontario Tech, which used to be known as the University of Ontario Institute of Technology and Durham College, being a joint college and university campus, their student services were shared, meaning all the clubs on campus were shared. There was a club called Lanwar, and Lanwar would run one LAN event every semester. So similar to how you guys mentioned, you would bring PCs together to be able to play side by side over an internet connection. Yeah. That's what this club was geared towards doing. And every semester they would run this event in one of the larger lecture halls. It fit about 150 attendees, and it continued to grow as interest within gaming and the word spread. So when I joined the club in my second year, the first year I was terrified because it was a, a booth of all guys, and I was like, oh no, I don't know if I can be that gamer girl and walk in and if that's going to be okay. So I had the courage to go in my second year. It was amazing. There was about 350 attendees at the point, so they had grown 200 over the span of a year, and I fell in love with it. It felt like home. It felt like I could express my interests, because gaming had been negatively stigmatized. It's not something you could openly talk about. It's something that you kind of held close to your heart, and you'd go home and talk to your buddies online about it. So loving this event, I volunteered to plan the second semester event, which went amazing. I ended up becoming the vice president of the club by my third year. The third year it spiked up to 800 attendees. I love paperwork, so sponsorships was my thing. I ended up reaching out to a bunch of different organizations. We ended up getting 10000 in sponsorship dollars. Wow. Being one of the few LAN events in the area, sponsors were like, we're, we're technology, we want this technology to reach students. You guys seem like a great market. These people are playing video games and using our products all the time. How do we reach them easier? And then after that, I ended up becoming the president of the club, hitting attendee numbers of 1,300, putting us at the second largest collegiate LAN event in Canada. Wow. What kind of games were you playing at that time? Like when you started, what was, what was the games that were people were playing for that? They were smaller scale games. I know TF2, Team Fortress 2, was very popular. We played that. We would do Minecraft builds, whoever built the best and coolest 
castle. That was a competition? Thing. Yeah, you wow. just had okay. to build something cool in yeah. Minecraft. There would be the, the usual League of Legends, Counter-Strike, um, Call of Duty, some of the more competitive games with larger team sizes geared to the more competitive individuals opposed to those who are just playing casually to have a good time. Sure. So you, even at that time, you were already thinking about the different style of gamers. Yes. Now, do you think that helped a little bit when you started to approach the sponsorship and when you started to approach Durham College about doing something like the eSport Arena? Like being able so. to have that diversity? Yes. So the gamer population is already a smaller percentage. Let's say it's 10% of students. If you start to segregate them even further based on particular game titles or even console versus PC, you're narrowing it down even farther. So it's very, very important to be all-inclusive, I would say. Because gamers, as someone who's grown up feeling negatively stigmatized, you want them to feel like they're in a safe, positive space by providing for everybody. No, well, I'm going to do my tangent here because I think this is a really important topic. I think it was very interesting that you brought this up. And I have two daughters myself that are, one is pretty much an avid gamer. So you use the phrase gamer girl and you talked about, you know, being, there's stigma associated to gaming. I'm sure there's layers of stigma. Um, what, how has this evolved now? Like, do you feel, it's 2020. And I feel like that gaming is so much more open than it has ever been. And it's certainly continuing to escalate with that. And I'm, I'm glad to see that. We certainly grew up in an era where, and most of our listeners grew up in an area where you did not talk about being a gamer at all. And you had to like... Really Except with your the people that were also... You really had to feel out people. And even then, if you didn't quite yeah. play the same titles, then you really had nothing in common. You wouldn't even try to talk to each other. So it was really limiting. Um, how have you seen... Like with the installation of the land war piece going on here and then the evolution to the eSport arena we see downstairs, how is the diversity? How is the gender equality coming with this conversation? I feel like it's grown tremendously and it's very nice to be able to see the progression throughout the years, especially with gender balance in eSports. There's way more females in the space than there were even just a couple years ago. But I think a lot of that can be accredited to the younger generation that's growing into it. They don't see gender as being a problem. And especially when they're leaning towards game titles made by Nintendo. And Nintendo is very gender neutral, so they think nothing of it. Mm -hmm. And then there's larger scale game companies that are catching on to this, like Overwatch made by Blizzard. Half of their characters that you can play are actually female, so they gear it towards gender balance. So naturally, Overwatch has the largest female demographic out of any of the game titles that are available on the market. That's really cool. No, I'm glad to see that. And I mean... I think it's going to be pretty revolutionary. I don't know if it's revolutionary. I shouldn't say that term. I should say it's pretty kick-ass that you yourself are sitting here as the manager of this arena for the first, like, Durham's first foray into this, right? The evolution. Well, which we haven't actually quite got there yet. So after the, the land wars and that, at what point was the school on board to say, let's make a dedicated space for the, these kind of events? Obviously, this what became the esports arena. Mm -hmm. There was actually a couple more steps between land war and where we are currently. Land war showed the capacity and interest of students to be involved in these sorts of initiatives. But just interest on a student basis wasn't enough. There had to be academic interest and varsity tie-in. So after land war's success, we co-piloted a varsity esports team to show that we could have a competitive capacity for esports titles. It's something that St. Clair College was the first to do in Canada. So it's nice to show the school other schools that are advancing the esports sector. So the co-piloted varsity program went very well. The second year after the launch, they ended up picking up the teams officially. 
So without the arena being built yet, we had six official varsity teams that were competing, but they didn't have a practice space at the time. They were still very new, very fresh-faced. So when you say six teams, that's for six different games? I six presume? different game okay. titles, each having a full main roster of however many players it takes to field the team, each having a manager, a coach, and two substitute players in case anything happened or strategy needed to change. So I want to talk, can we talk about you a little bit more? Like, because I can't believe, well, we, we know it's impossible because you're a part of the creation of getting the eSport arena to where it is. Impossible or possible? What I'm going to say okay. is impossible. Okay. So don't do that to me. <laughs> so anyways, it's impossible to say that you wanted to do this for a career um, because you helped create it. So when you set out your journey into school and you talked about being at Ontario Tech previously, right? Just literally up the, the pathway there. What were you headed down? Where did you think you were heading for a job, career? What were you focused on? I graduated with a bachelor's of science, life science. So totally unrelated to both business and gaming. It's something where I went to a, a very small high school that didn't necessarily have business courses. Your business course was learning how to type properly. Oh, yeah. But science is something I had good grades in. So I was like, heck yeah, I'll go to university for science, not looking into the future at all. It's intimidating moving from high school to university. You pick something you're good at and you hope for the best. Well, and I think that was even just the way it was for us. We were always told to take what you were good at and go with that. Yeah. No one ever says, hey, by the way, there's really nothing on the other side of it. Because yeah. no one's really originated how that's going to originate, how that's going to become a job. I think, at least for us, too, it was just the goal was post-secondary education. That was as far as forward as you really look. Yeah. Like, it was just after that, you're like, yeah, you're on your own. After. Out you go and you're not homeless. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, which fair. is not necessarily the case, but yeah. Okay, so you had obviously then your your education not at least directly in any way related to this. Is there anything from your education that you were able to apply to this field and this kind of job? Thankfully, with science came my love of paperwork and being able to <laughs> research every possible detail. Within all of the scientific papers we had to submit, we had to follow the scientific theory. If something doesn't work properly, find out what didn't work and correct it. And that relates a lot to business. If something doesn't work, you've got to continuously check quality. You've got to check the risks. If something changes, you've got to implement a fix. So that's something that I'm very grateful did cross over. And naturally, there's so much paperwork within the role that I'm doing now. I'm glad that I did develop that love for paperwork back in my biology degree. So that was a unique, unique crossover I didn't think would exist. So now, once there was uh, these esports teams at the school officially when did they decide to make the dead like this the actual space for it like obviously they did you said at least one season without the arena mm -hmm. so how did that come about it was finally formally pitched to the president of the college by a professor at the school Ooh. his name is michael cameron he was our faculty advisor back when we were a club okay he's actually a content creator he streams under the tag gamer dad so he's someone that grew up with a love of video games himself, ended up teaching here. He teaches IT, and he's someone that's been very heavily involved and even attended all of our LAN events when we ran them as the club. So he saw, from an academic standpoint, what could be tied into the space. So he describes it as months and months of pestering the college's president until he finally threw his hands up and said, Okay, Mike, sit me down, tell me about this esports what does it mean? Why is this important to a college? So he was able to pitch it to the school 
and pitch an arena. Once the arena was built, he was able to pitch an academic program and graduate cert where you're teaching students the involvement using the arena as a hands-on learning facility. Well, and that's got to be good for, for you to have somebody in your corner at that level just constantly, as you said, sort of pestering and, and poking until the, you know, you get some movement on that. Because really, if it was just a student trying to convince the, the president of a school, I think your odds would probably, unless, you know, maybe later on now that there's more schools that are doing it, you could use those as reference. But I think when you were trying to do it, if it was just students coming to the president, that would have been a lot more difficult without that kind of help. Very much so. As students, you're expected to go through the student association or the student union, and then they would then have to go to their superiors. And it's just kind of continuously hopping through hoops and climbing the ladder until you find someone that's willing to listen to you. So being a student voice versus a faculty voice meant very different things at the time. So what's your specific role at the esports arena? I'm the manager of the eSports Arena, which on the day-to-day -day is the running of the eSports Arena. So any events or projects that come through, any sponsorships, any initiatives geared towards a student, all of the varsity and academic tie-in, as well as they've got me teaching part-time starting in September for the eSports Graduate Cert to teach eSports Project Management. Whoa, eSports <laughs> Graduate? Listen, because I just hear my kids coming home going, Dad, I want to take this program, I can, and we'll get to that conversation as well. So what's this program? What's coming out? The eSports Graduate Cert is aimed at individuals that have an existing diploma or degree so that parents have peace of mind that their kids aren't going to go straight out of high school and be like, Mom, Dad, I'm playing video games for the rest of my life. Thank you. So they have to have an existing diploma or degree. So they've identified a field that they want to work in already by taking that diploma or degree. And then the Graduate Cert is we will teach them how to relate that to the eSports sector. A lot of people hear esports and think, okay, competitive gaming. They don't realize all the jobs that are at the back end of it. Marketing, advertising, broadcast, production, law, HR, there's so many opportunities. So we want to be able to help train people to be in that field. Well, and even like the production, um, and I'm sure you can talk about this as well. Uh, like if you watch the, the larger like League of Legends events, that kind of thing, it's it's the equivalent of like production wise, it's the equivalent of watching the NHL or, you know, baseball or whatever. It's, you know, the graphics, you've got play by play, you've got uh, analysts, you've got all sorts of it's it's very much that same skill set. But I don't think people think about that aspect of it. As, as you said, I think it's mostly people here esports, they think, you know, competitive gaming and that's it. And they probably mostly think of the main games. But I'm, I'm really fascinated with this idea of the the Minecraft competition, like that idea of having it's a competitive game, but it's not it's not violent, it's not it's not super stressful to that degree. Well, I think it it it, it opens doors for people who maybe otherwise wouldn't think yeah. of what they were doing as competitive. We, we you've got kids that play Minecraft all the time. I mean Minecraft is obviously super popular and successful. I wonder how many people think of it as a competitive type game. So, I don't know. I hear some some stark voices coming out of the room is when you said violent i'm like i don't know i've heard some violence coming out of that room so well yeah but yeah. I, maybe less intentional so. yeah maybe no no i mean i agree with you on that piece um i want to come back to something else so how much of your has your responsibility or maybe the esport varsity team responsibility is to help some of the students realize that professional gaming careers are probably going to be like the equivalent of maybe the NHL. Like it's going to be really hard to get paid a substantial amount of money the rest of your life. Like you need, I love the point part, part that it's a graduate certificate. So it's after you've done something. So that's, that's great. It's not in, in lieu of, 
But, you know, how many, do you find yourself regularly bursting bubbles of people's maybe uh, dreams of coming to, to, to join the varsity team to make millions of dollars? Mm-hmm. I try not to think of it as bursting <laughs> bubbles for my own sanity, that I'm not crushing <laughs> students' dreams. But there is a very big educational component of teaching them that this is the equivalent of playing in the NHL. Whereas there's a lot of differences, a lot of similarities, but also a lot of differences between esports and sports. For example, you can start playing sports in elementary school and high school. There's competitive teams where you're learning the skills and playing in a competitive environment. With esports, they did it top down. They started showing you the best of the best. So you don't think about all the time and commitment and practice you have to put in to get there. They just don't see that level which is why I think collegiate is so important. You're starting to see if you can play at that higher competitive level. It's your first experience within that sort of infrastructure and foundation that's not immediately being scouted by a pro team. It gives you the opportunity to see how you fare against other collegiate athletes and if you are good enough to make the team. So with that, I mean, besides the varsity teams, is there, again, I'm trying to make comparisons to traditional sports is there like intramural teams or that kind of thing like a a lower more recreational level sort of right now very much so when you guys first came to visit we were running a halo intramural in the esports arena at the time within the esports intramurals because there's such a wide variety of esports titles we don't do it quite on the same schedule as you would with a soccer intramural we still do weekly gameplay but we have a tendency to change the game so we are hitting every demographic We'll go back and forth between PC game titles and console game titles to even super friendly casual game titles like Mario Kart so that everybody has an opportunity to come in and try it even if they're not already endemic to the esports space. So you really have to balance two hats. One, growing the the membership base or participant base, right, to show the diversity of anyone can come. But there's also still the, the maybe the grooming or training of the varsity teams to be uber competitive across, well, I guess North America, right? That's the stage. Mm-hmm. It isn't just regional. You're going to be, unfortunately, competing across those 330 teams, right? Pretty much so. But we also try to keep them grounded. So we'll, during our summer camps, we'll have them come in and teach some of the younger students who aspire to be athletes. So they remember that there are still people out there who are learning and growing, and it kind of keeps you in a mindset of, I'm happy to be where I am. I'm excited to play competitively but still to remember the other individuals and not get cocky. Because we see that a lot in esports athletes, that they think they're the best and the best, and they start to act a little bit differently once they've received that recognition. Does it happen in sports at all? No. <laughs> uh, is there, in regard to that, is there an aspect of, um, I don't know, maybe counseling is the wrong word, but somebody that is there. Coaching. Co- yeah, I, yeah, okay. But not like a physical coach, but yeah, like a... Uh, there's a guy with a re- uh, whistle and a striped shirt somewhere. Like more of an attitude coach, I guess, maybe, is what I was thinking of. Somebody that is there to, you know, uh, like a mental coach, basically. Professional teams will have mental health trainers available for them, which is amazing to think. They're starting to mimic the, the foundations that sports have. So if you're at the highest professional level, you live in a team house, you've got your own chef to make sure you're eating properly and you're getting the proper nutrients. Come on! Mental health training. Oh, yeah, they spoil you. It's amazing. other sports. Okay, so how does recruitment work then? Like for the varsity team, how do you determine who's on a varsity team? Which is increasingly difficult for university and colleges considering there's no high school platform to pick from like you do for traditional sports. Oh, that's right. So first year. So, yeah, what do you what would you look at for that? Then it, would they recruit based on uh, the individual's performance? Because obviously most games have uh, leaderboards or, or some form of keeping track of how well they're doing per season. 
Does the school look at that at all, or is it strictly in-house performance monitoring, that kind of thing? It's strictly in-house. We have to wait till schools enroll at the school to begin doing any sorts of tryouts. We can't go to their high school games to watch them to see who does the best. If we start looking at leaderboards to see who is the best, it's hard to determine where that player is geographically. Mm. Mm. That's fair. It's not hard to recruit that way. And the laws here are so different on recruitment for sports. It's not like the U.S. So then do you have many first-year varsity players? Or do you have to sort of wait till later on in the first year or into their second year before they actually get recruited? Like how long does it take to actually determine this person is a fit for the team? And especially now, as the competition probably ramps up, it's probably fewer slots available uh, for players. Mm -hmm. We do tryouts at the beginning of every semester. So we do one in September and we do another one in January. We put the rosters together in September. So our our team basis is pretty 50-50 because if you think of college demographics, they're mostly two-year programs with a couple third-year programs sprinkled in there. So it is pretty pretty fair to go between first and second years. And then come second semester, we do have some students that graduate after the first semester, depending on what their program looks like. They might go off to placement and we might not see them at all for the second semester. So we do supplement the current roster starting in January to finish out that winter semester. How long has the eSport Arena been open now? We're almost at our first complete year. We opened April 2nd of last year. Has the existence of this arena started working it into the advertising for Durham College as they're promoting themselves across the high schools in Ontario to recruit students to the college? Very much so. I know that admissions is very excited to have such a a nice unpolished or polished now gem available on campus, a nice way to attract students. And coincidentally, they, they advertise in ways that I wouldn't think of or didn't know about in advance. I went to an Oshawa Generals game, the local hockey team, last week, and the eSports arena was sponsoring the entire game. Our advertisements kept flashing along the arena. We got shout-outs. There was quizzes at halftime. And I was like, this is amazing, because if you look at or any local hockey game, a lot of the schools will come in to do the national anthem. You'll have Timbits play at halftime. Yeah. So there is a lot of younger individuals that go to these games, and it's a great way to target them. 100%. So I'm curious, do you have a read yet on how the parents are handling this conversation yet? It's still early days, I feel like. Because certainly from our point of view growing up, if we had said we were going to strive for a professional gamer, as I, I say mean, it, I can already no, see the voices. I just, there. Not even that. If I just tried to sell that I joined a varsity yeah. team and everyone's excited and then I tell them that it's related to video games, yeah. the silence at the Christmas table would have been amazing. <laughs> you probably come up against a bit of you know restriction coming from the parents as to, like, is this a serious thing? Is this Did something... from studies? Since well, yeah, that's a good point, too. Complimentary yeah. to mm-hmm. that. And a lot of times, I think parents are stuck around if you know little Johnny or Julie can you know, make the varsity soccer team, maybe that's a really great thing. And they, they would, don't really get upset over the sacrifices that are made there. Are we getting, are you getting any resistance or are you come across any resistance when, you know, they change that from soccer to the esports arena? It's been very split between parents' opinions on the piece. Some of them still completely don't understand the world of esports. And if there's something you don't understand or you're ignorant about, you typically don't like it. Humans just tend to be that way. If we don't know something about something, it's not going to be our first choice most of the time. But there are some parents that are completely supportive of the idea. They've taken the time to educate themselves, and with that education, they've realized that there are valid career opportunities. 
And with that, they're a little bit more peace of mind within the parents. Some of them start very young. We do hold birthday parties within the esports arena, and parents are excited to have young Sally, young Jim come in and spend time playing games with their friends in this sort of environment, as well as the opportunity to come and do summer camps on Durham College campus. Because not only are they learning about video games, but it's still an academic environment, so there are still a lot of learning pieces. We teach them about cybersecurity. Just because you're on the internet doesn't mean you're entirely safe. How do you protect yourself? So parents tend to appreciate the educational aspect. So jump back to the varsity team. What's the advantage to be on the varsity team? Why would someone want to be on that team, make that team? You're treated the same as every other sports athlete on campus. So there's ex- there's no discrimination. You have the same accesses to the gym. You have the same mental health training access. You have the same leniency of if you have a game, we can pull you out of class because you need to make that game. You can't miss that or that's a loss for us. They talk about it on all of our social media. Whenever our team gets a win, the school itself will actually retweet all the social media, which is amazing to see that level of support as well. They get the same track jerseys, esports jerseys. They're going to an esports event this month, actually. They're going to Montreal to compete in Lane ETS. So, besides the varsity team and obviously this awesome facility, how else? You were kind of talking a little bit in September. Um, there's going to be some more tie-ins with the esports, but how else has the college incorporated esports into the academic side of things? We have placement students within the arena, actually. Right now, this semester, we've got two recreation and leisure students, so it ties in very well for them to be able to get hands-on experience within their field. We've also had students do projects in the esports arena. The sports management class, for example, every year they have to run a charity event. Last year, and again this year, one of the groups have decided to run an esports event for charity, so it's very nice to see the tie-in from different programs. The broadcasting production students are in every other week with a new assignment they've been tasked with, and they want to do their feature on the esports arena. And there's so much tie-in with the IT programs as well. So it's definitely a very popular place right now. I'm totally sending my resume in. Reckon Lee's grad right here. Yeah, uh, for, for what? Like, how long now you've been going on about how you've had such a waste of time doing yeah, Reckon Leisure? Now, now I have can... the greatest degree ever. Hey, so. you, you could do that <laughs> new certificate demand. program. Yeah. <laughs> certificate program. You've already yeah. got a diploma. Except I suck at games now. I've been away for way too long. Yeah. Anyways. I, um, actually, that's a good point. I I guess from the, we're seeing this from the younger side of things, but would you say, because my experience from what I'm seeing is there is sort of a... I don't want to say age cap, but it seems like with esports, they're very young. Uh, most of the players, even when they quote retire or become coaches, like they're like still living in their parents' basement. Or well, yeah, maybe or like in their like mid twenties at the latest. Like yeah. it's it's a very young um, sport, like that that kind of thing. Like, do you see much in the way of older uh, people playing, or is it really like that kind of drop off after like mid twenties, thirty kind of thing? For high-level competitive play, it is very much between the ages of 16 and mid-20s, but it's mostly based on cognitive performance. If you think about sports athlete, at some point they're physically not at their peak anymore. With eSports, it's all about cognitive motor function, and that starts to decline after 24 years of age, so you won't be able to keep up with the younger ones who are doing much better. But there I can are... intimidate them. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. <laughs> there are still fields that you could excel at. Speedrunning is still huge, and you don't have to be very quick with your reflexes to do very well at speedrunning. 
I don't even know what that is. Yeah, do you want to just, because I know what it is, but maybe. let's well, you just always assume I don't know? Well, <laughs> okay, what is it? You just said you don't know what it is. I don't know. All right, educate Adam here on what a, what a speedrun for a game would be. Speedrunning is focused on single-player plot-based games. Legend of Zelda franchise, the Mario franchise, and it's beating the game in the quickest time possible. Yeah, can't also... we just call it beating the game the quickest time possible? No, That's how we... I grew up. No. Very catchy game title, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Speedrun. Okay. Well, I'm good at that. Speedrun. Are you? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was an only child. You just played games by yourself all the time, so you got better at it. You're selling yourself. Yeah, I am. 100%. This job interview is going horrible. <laughs> um, out of curiosity, Sarah, let's say you got your hands on the wheel for where things go next downstairs in the East Border, you know, with the, with the whole setup. What do you see down the road where this thing's, where would you like to see things go? And, and, you know, we're not saying to anybody, this is what's going to happen or it must happen. But the reality is, you know, you're close to it. You've been really, you know, a very important integral part of the evolution of how it's gotten to where it is, especially considering you're probably the number one resource on the funding application piece and keeping the sponsors in involved. So you have an idea of where this potentially could go, what it takes to keep it here. Where do you want to see it going, say, five years, ten years? What do you, what's your long-range vision look like to Long-range. I would love to see Durham College host a either semesterly or yearly LAN event completely ran, managed, and organized by the students that are at this school. Not only is that going to be an amazing resume piece for them when they graduate and they're looking for work, it gives them the hands-on experience, and it has so much community tie-in as well. Durham region is so far from the city. We want to be able to create a very positive community in our region. And by running events done by students, they're gaining corporate interest. Someone's already looking out for them by the time they graduate. It's a great way for them to network and form those relationships. And it's also something that they can bring their friends and family to, to be like, I did this. Mm -hmm. And talk about stigma smashing, like big time. And then you think you have the whole production arm that you can do here too, the local, local television, you probably can get that thing streamed or see how old i am televised yeah you can get the thing streamed right yeah. obviously and you know that, you don't need the, tv for that the evolution of that like it's uh yeah you're gonna break a lot of barriers by able to do that so is this something that you are in your mind is a dream or do you have a sketch pad somewhere of a bit of a if i get the opportunity this is what the proposal looks like we're working towards it with the esports graduate cert in second semester one of their courses is running an esports event so they go through project management with me in first semester to learn how to create that documentation and what the process looks like. And then the second semester, they'll be implementing that knowledge and running an event on their own. So it's kind of like, I guess, like, well, like a, like a semester long project, like where you would yeah. work with a business, except the business in this case is the school and you're running the event locally. Now, you mentioned Durham being far from the city, Toronto. Uh, what's the gaming scene like in this area? Like, do you find it's getting bigger like competitive wise we do have a very big local scene which is amazing the smash ultimate community in the durham region is one of the biggest but it is such a big region and everyone loves to play video games you've just got to hit that target demographic see what everybody likes and bring them out to your facility it's easy with games like smash ultimate where everybody has to be physically together to play in a large-scale environment whereas for league of legends i can hop online with my buddies and we can all play that way so we have about 100 attendees that come to our Smash Monthly, so it's definitely one of our biggest. But when they run large-scale events, we do pull from the city, and we even had a couple pull from out of country when we run our large-scale events. Now, is that because there just aren't that many large events being run? Or is it just that everybody, they just want to go to every available event that they can get to because 
They just want to prove themselves and they want that uh, experience, that kind of thing. They definitely just want to attend as many events as they can. Toronto has so many that happen every year, mostly in the warmer months. We don't see too much going on when it does get a little bit chillier. But you'll see the consistent players coming out to as many as they can. It's a great way to socialize. A lot of people do think gaming makes individuals antisocial, but there's an entire online social network that you're interacting with. When there's large-scale events, it gives you the opportunity to attend these events and meet the people that you've been talking with for so long. It would be wise, too, especially in the Durham region, you know, with that incredible diversity amount of people that come to an event and they all have different backgrounds and stuff. I mean, I see you're sponsored by Monster, but not everybody's a Monster drinker. When they're in the area, they should be going to Deadly Grounds Coffee. Or Apid Beans. Or Apid Beans, which is actually pretty close, last time I checked. Yeah. So, and if there's if they want to plan ahead, they can go check out deadlygrounds.ca. No. Is it? No? Dot com? Keep See, trying. You keep telling me to do this, and I can't do it. So, deadlygroundscoffee.ca. And what's the promo code at checkout? Happy Zen. There we go. Done. You're, you're getting worse at this oh, somehow. That's my job. I'm done. All right. Anyways, carry on. Um, we kind of glossed over this, but what, what's your average workday here look like? Like, And I don't know if there is an average day. Maybe every day is completely different, but what, what's the normal day look like? I usually come in at around 10 in the morning, which sounds strange to anyone that works like an 8 to 4, a 9 to 5. I'm 10 to 7, but if you think of the gamer audience, that makes sense. They're a little bit later in the evening, a little bit later to rise. So I come in at 10. I do an hour of game updates all of our PC games, and even some of the console games. There's so many different updates that come out throughout the day. We've got over 50 titles preloaded onto the server. So ooh, when there's a Fortnite update, it takes so long. Fortnite takes an hour, by the way, <laughs> for whatever reason. So I come in, I do all the game updates. We open our doors at 11, and then I'm in the arena from 11 to 12. So I do the first hour of business with all of our students, all of the other part-time students, full-time DC works, study students, and placement students all typically start at around 12. So when everyone comes in, I'll fill them in with whatever our goals are for the day. Whatever's going on, if we have any bookings, tournament, any departments coming through, I'll get them the heads up. And then I'll retreat back to my office to do a lot of the paperwork for the day to go over the finance to see if we've got any upcoming proposals for events, if we're working with any sponsors. A lot of academic integration with the esports graduates are coming in. There's a lot of back and forth on what program works well, what topics should we be working on, and what does that look like within the esports arena. Sounds busy. I've wrapped it up by two. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I'd be lucky to work the front desk. So, do you have nice. any like um, this is your your day to day in most cases? But are there certain things that people or that that happen during the day? you know, that you're really excited about, things that people might not know from the outside that, like, what what's what are the exciting things for you uh, working in this job? Like, what do you really enjoy? My favorite thing is the first hour I spend in the arena because you see the students come in, their eyes light up, their jaws drop. They're so excited to have this space on campus. And it gives me the opportunity to see what students are interested in, what they're excited about, what game updates have them totally fired up, which ones really upset them because it's totally killed their favorite character. It's really nice to have that opportunity to see the students because it's built for them at the end of the day. For yourself, I mean, you shared with us you were a gamer. That's how you fell in love with this This is, you know, as a thing of yours as well. So this is a, a hobby that's become a career. I mean, very fortunate that way. How has your role at the eSports Arena with Durham College affected your gaming life? Do you get to keep up with it? I mean, it sounds like you've got a lot of duties, so I mean, that's got to be tough. Do you get a chance to participate? Do you, do you still get time to game on your own or what? Oh, I game way less than I used to. <laughs> 
it's not as uh, sounded so sad. I know. I am so sad. uh, Well, I mean, I guess if that you know, it's like bringing your work home with you, right? Like it's in a sense, it's although it still has to be somewhat fun, I would imagine. But just as a matter of like just time, you just don't have as much time to do it any longer, or are you just kind of burned out by the end of the day? Back when I was a student, it was a lot easier to get some gameplay time in there. Your schedule was all over the place. You could end at two one day and have eight hours of gameplay time. But working 10 to 7, by the time I get home and everything's sorted for the evening, there's not many hours left in the day to get anything done. Weekends would be great, but events are usually on weekends, so that's when we run all of our tournaments, that's when we have all of our birthday parties come in. So, And officially speaking, you're not playing games up in this office, right? I might on break. Okay. Well. So that, that, that leads me to the question I was going to ask you. So a lot of people want their hobbies to become their careers. What's your take on that so far? I mean, still relatively fresh for you, but what's your take on that? As in maybe some words of uh, advice you can pass on to others or cautionary tales or maybe ways to keep it happy and and fulfilling so you don't lose track of that love that you have for it. I see both sides of it. I see people that absolutely love the field, but once it's something that they've started doing way too much of, that love tends to die out a little bit. But at the same time, it's amazing to find a job that you love and doing something that you like tends to make you a little bit happier, right? So it's, for me, it's all about the variety, not getting stuck in doing the same thing over and over again. So it still keeps it a little bit fresh. Now, you mentioned, uh, I think, one or two other schools. How many schools at this level are, like, have this kind of a facility or doing this kind of varsity program? Like, is the varsity program idea becoming relatively mainstream across the board for colleges? Within Canada, there's four colleges that have a varsity program, zero universities. They tend to be a little bit slower when it comes to the policies and procedures. And accepting eSport as a sport, that tends to be the big sticking point, whether or not eSports does count as a sport. We're the only ones to have a large eSports arena. A lot of the other schools have changed old classrooms to be a little training facility for their athletes. So this is definitely breaking. Like, this is... Oh, yeah. And we'll get some pictures, folks. Don't worry. Like, we'll snap some pictures on the way out. I'm sure there's better quality stuff. Assuming that we're allowed. We'll share. We may not be allowed. You're yeah. more than welcome to. Okay, good. We're good. I take a lot of liberties. Sorry. <laughs> so, but we'll share all that stuff and we'll get to the, the shares at the end as well. But so you can see what we're talking about. Like, this is not just, it's, it's, I mean, there's not even office chairs. Like, these chairs you guys are sitting in are like amazing. It's awesome. That you can sit there for 12 hours. It's a much better chair than I'm sitting I, in at I work. Think yeah. The problem I have with my body today from sitting in the, the awkward positions of playing video games in our childhood versus, you know, into like. Well, yeah, it's not a room full of beanbag chairs. Yeah. No, it's not even. They, I remember just the stupid wooden chairs we sat on and stuff over the years. Or the know? ground. Yeah, the ground, right? Totally wrong. I have so, glasses today because of that. <laughs> but, anyways. So, I'm going to ask this for you. So Adam, as mentioned, has kids that are not that far away, which is probably alarming to you, uh, from post-secondary education. What would you tell him or parents that are in that position who have kids that are obviously into playing video games? What, what advice would you give them if they, if their kids have interest in it? Like what would, what would be a good thing to tell parents to, uh, maybe encourage their kids or how to, how to handle that and not be, you know, you can't be playing games all day, go outside, that kind of thing, the old mentality. Like, what would you suggest? Mm-hmm. Parents definitely have different mentalities on what amount of gameplay is healthy versus how much restriction needs to be placed upon it. I think it's very important to understand your individual's children's 
passions and what those are, because it feels good as a child to have your parents' support. But it's also important to maintain balance if you want your child to go to post-secondary, whether that be college or university. That's also something that I believe is very important to teach them, is that you do need to progress a little bit farther. You need to have dreams and goals and backup plans. A lot of children will have a pipeline dream of having a competitive career. What's your fallback if that competitive career doesn't work out? So which Switch feed. That's where college and university is amazing because you can pursue a competitive career as a varsity athlete, but by being a varsity athlete, that means you're currently here getting a diploma or a degree. So that's the happy balance where you can still follow that dream of being in esports, whether it's a varsity competitive athlete or taking some of the video game related programs available, but they're still getting educated and working towards that career once they graduate. So even for some parents, maybe what we wise to think of those that are in a similar situation as myself is maybe you're having a hard time figuring out what your kids want to do or maybe they're not so interested in post-secondary they're not 100 sure that even makes sense to them they're trying to figure it out and we know education is always valuable i mean i think you're matt you're the only one here doing a job related to what you went to school for both of us have you know backgrounds and things are completely not what we do for a living uh, and we can take that, those educational aspects and use them to be successful. So with that being said, maybe something like a school having a varsity team, like how Durham does, it provides an opportunity for the kids to say, look, you know, if you go participate in the post-secondary level, here's a thing you can do while you're there because you're a student and you couldn't do it otherwise. Which so, again, is I think, ties into the fact that that seems to be something they're pushing now uh, in their advertising for the school itself. It yeah. sounds like that's something. Yeah. So and that would be, I would think, a something that might make you, if you are down to, you know, Durham and another school, that could be something that brings students here, mm-hmm. which I imagine would probably be something that like, the president of the school or the higher ups are looking at as maybe a, another positive to this whole thing is to bring more students in because it is something relatively unique at this time. Yeah. If you're listening, Don, you did a kick-ass job here, but <laughs> I don't. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Is there anything else you we haven't touched on? I mean, we, we tried to go a little bit everywhere. And we're all over the map, and I apologize for that. Yeah, so what have we missed? Is there anything about this program, the, the arena, the varsity esports that you want people to know that maybe they don't know, they don't, they don't expect, they don't, they don't realize? I'm just excited for the opportunity for people to hear about it. A lot of people that don't understand esports at all, it's completely over their head because we weren't ever really in mainstream media. People had no way of knowing about what it was, but now that it is becoming so popularized with being on, I think it was one of the Sportsnet channels that starts broadcasting some of these larger scale esports events, it starts to be right in front of them and they hear about 15 year olds winning $3 million at Fortnite competitions. It gives them the opportunity to look a little bit more into it. It's piqued their interest. And I think that's something that's very much gonna help the younger generation as they opportunities that we didn't have when we were younger it wasn't so heavily supported so i think it's going to be something where the younger generation as a new wave coming into the scene is going to completely change it in a couple years and i'm excited to see where it goes how's the connection with the pro teams so i mean you have the the varsity teams and obviously there's pro teams that people get paid i would assume because of the fact that they're all operating very similar in the space is the interaction high because i mean if you think about pro sports so if you go back to the one that that you know our generation can handle is that if you think about pro sports, the interaction from the college sports or even from like the OHL to the NHL is very limited unless they're associated. Otherwise, there's none. They're not allowed to have any. 
do these pro teams get an opportunity to interact with some of your varsity students, whether it be events or just maybe are they even competing against each other sometimes? Yeah, within the local um, individual regions. So some of the teams are very location specific, more so for the franchise game titles. Call of Duty just franchised, Overwatch is franchised. So we have in Toronto for Call of Duty Toronto Ultra and for Overwatch Toronto Defiant, whenever they host large-scale events, they send out invites to every college and university esports club within a certain radius because they want to make those connections. They want to get to know the educational systems as well as the players because that's going to be a direct feeder system. They're going to start looking at the higher level players within the collegiate scene. See, that connection's way tighter. Like if you look at how all other professional sports work, they don't bother advertising at all to that next generation of players. It's those next generation of players are trying to knock on their door. But so, they also have like established farm teams, that kind of thing as well. A, a complicated system, mm-hmm. right? And I feel like the one thing I've witnessed so far, like having talked to Mike and sharing the conversations today and talking to you, Matt, over the time, is that esports seems to be taking all the bureaucratic complexity you know, administrative layers that people put in to justify all these extra jobs. And they're really streamlining it because they don't need to have them. And and it's creating a lot of successes. And I think it creates a lot of connectivity to the pro level right down to grassroots. And it probably would help a little bit too with back to the piece I said about bursting bubbles, you know, not being so crass, but the reality is, is to, to, they can see much clearer what it looks like to be pro and realize that mm, that's probably not me. But I'm okay with that because I can still be really close to this world. Mm-hmm. And it would be like getting a chance to have front row seats at the you know Leaf game all the time and be really close to that world and satisfied with that's how close you can be. We don't get that. Whereas esports, it seems like you can be really close. You can be really connected to that world and certainly contribute many levels. And it's not far, far away for you. Esports you is still new, though. It's not very traditional like sports. And that's why it is so different. Being new, we were able to look at the systems in place with traditional sports and see what works well for us versus what doesn't. Mm-hmm. So I think that certainly has played a big part in it. And you're going in with such an open mind. I mean, the the innovation outside of the box thinking that's taken to get, like example, the arena downstairs. What it's taken to get to that point, right, is collaboration a lot of people thinking outside of the box. So you're starting from such a great place because you're not stuck in a foundation of, you know, checks and balances that match everybody else. But yet you still get to integrate into that system where mm-hmm. you talked about all the same perks of being a varsity team here. I mean, there has to be almost a little bit of jealousy from some of the other teams probably and they, the care that goes both ways. But then the stresses on the eSport teams probably don't feel the same way as on the other athletes, right? I mean, I can break my leg and, and still be able to compete in my eSport world, whereas I'm not pulling that off with anything else. Uh, there's injuries. Yeah, you mentioned the chairs earlier. This is actually one of the things we put in place for the eSports arena to prevent injuries. But hold on, hold on. Injuries in eSports? Sure. Very common. So wrist injuries is probably the most common. You'll hear a lot of carpal tunnel. Yeah, 100%. Get that. We've got a completely adjustable monitor stand so that depending on how far or close you're sitting, you can completely move the monitor. So it's at a height and distance that's comfortable for you. Fully ergonomic chairs to have your wrists at a proper height so you're not bending or putting too much strain on your hands when you're playing. Keyboards, mice, it goes on and on. You've got to protect your players. They're pro. It's awesome. Now... One last thing, you, near the beginning of this interview, you mentioned how you have, um, you've learned that skill where you want to see what works and what doesn't and then go from there. So you drop what doesn't and you, you, you open up new things. Is there anything in this program so far that you've went maybe one way and said, well, maybe this isn't working or, or let's try it a different way or, or just drop something entirely because it just flat out wasn't working? 
Or is it still too early for to determine that yet? We definitely have. We're no exception to typical business models. Because esports is so new, it's very common to try something new, see how the, the stakeholders and the demographic responds to it. And if it's something they're not interested in, well, then you've got to change your decision, change your choices, and turn it into something that is a little bit more intriguing. When we went to run intramurals for the first time, we followed a traditional sports model. Learned very quickly gamers don't like that. They don't want to come in and play every week at the same game time. We didn't get very many registrations compared to what we do now, which is changing the game, giving them more diversity, giving them the chance to meet people that they wouldn't if they stayed in the same game. Looking at the collegiate audience, the reason they play intramurals is to meet new people, to enjoy their hobby. With gamers, they're more likely to change, not necessarily change their interests, but try out a variety of different games. They're more accommodating. Hmm. Wow, because in my mind, intramurals like, hey, Team A versus Team C this week at four o'clock on it's the Thursday. same thing over yeah, and over like again. Yeah, like you just thought of that way. And you know what? You're, it's, I, I get that. I get the change why that would be more enticing because we're not, you want to be able to play a little bit of everything. And I think with intramurals, you, intramural, you accept the fact that you're going to lose sometimes. Like that's, you're going in for other benefits. And so the different games allow different opportunities, right? Yeah, that's a big change. More of a recreational side of things. And then yeah. I guess if you were, you found a game that you, that was your game, then you would maybe focus more on getting on like a varsity team. Yeah, which was really cool too that I saw downstairs. And this is just a note. It was that, I know it's no food or beverage, right? I mean, I get that for the equipment sake. Sure. But this is a really cool conversation too, because I feel like that if this is a focus piece of a hobby, it's probably getting away from some of the more delinquent style activities typically associated to post-secondary because there's a higher priority. Like this is, you can't be- The Mountain Dew and the Doritos? Yeah, you're like, they came out and doing the Doritos. That's the best of it. It's not a case of beer and like going out with your buddies like every night. There's the college and the university has, you know, a notorious piece that no one ever likes to talk about, but yet every parent will brag about it is that they, you know, they turn into a bit of a party session. Whereas I feel like this is a good opportunity to stay active in something that's closer to home in the sense that it keeps you focused and there's an opportunity for that. And, and, it, and so by making it a varsity level, all those rules apply, which means that it's, again, another another healthier environment for the students and participants to grow. You get more value out of their education, get more value participating, being part of the school. They're part of the social infrastructure of the school, which maybe traditionally as a gamer, they might not have been. They would have been stuck in their own their own place doing their own thing. I agree. Well, Was there a college. question there? There's not really. It was more like a statement. Uh, although tied into that though, just before we wrap up, you mentioned food and drink and that kind of thing. Is there at this point in esports, in obviously in traditional sports, there are banned substances, there are things that you can and can't have. Is that something that like is there drug testing with esports and varsity levels or something like that? When they walk in shaking from adrenaline, you know things are. Well, good. I mean, you know, I don't know. There's got to be medications that keep people. Uppers, yeah, yeah, like like. Yeah, Adderall's a big one in the oh esports God, industry. Say that too. <laughs> a lot of people, when you go to a LAN event, LAN events or esports tournaments can be one to two days, eight hour days. They can also run long if the schedule gets extended. How do you stay focused for so long when it's all focused in your brain, when it's all motor cognitive functions? So players tend to turn towards energy beverages to keep them awake, Adderall to keep them focused. Within a lot of the major tournaments, though, they will put in rules and guidelines that if you're suspected to be under the influence, something can be done about that and your prize winnings can be taken away from you. And these are small prize winnings. so These yeah. are very large prize pools. A lot of the professional organizations will keep their players clean knowing that their brand image is on the line. Now, is there 
for lack of a better term, like an anti-doping organization. <laughs> I just watched so, Icarus. This is really timely. Yeah, that's what yeah. I was thinking. Of. Like, is there, at this point, because things are so new, there may not be, but is there, is there an organization? <laughs> is there an organization that does uh, independently test esports athletes or or that kind of thing as of yet, or is it still too soon? Not that I've heard of, no. Is this an old guy as you walk in? He goes, what's wrong with you? No? Yeah, that'll work. I can do it. Wreck and leisure. Uh, is there anything uh, you want to plug? This will probably come out in a couple weeks. Is there any events going on at the arena that you wanted to plug coming out? Um, we've got monthly Smash Ultimate tournaments that do run. So regardless when this comes out, sure. you can always check our website. So if you go to durhamcollege.ca slash esports, you'll find all of the relevant information on the esports arena there. You'll be able to book events in the arena. You'll be able to see summer camps. You'll also see a calendar of upcoming events, so you'll always be able to see what events are coming up. All of our tournaments and events are open to the public, so you don't have to worry about being just a student to attend those. It's a great way to come in, bring your friends, bring members of the community, and see how you fare against our varsity athletes. I think we should come. I don't need to be <laughs> my butt kicked by so I'm going to do it. Gonna, I mean, we're yeah. doing Mario Kart later this month. I already lose my kids. Also, the fact kids. that you mentioned Mario Kart as like a, essentially a peaceful game did not no, oh, string <laughs> did, did not ring true to There's me at all. There's a hole in my ceiling from someone playing Mario Kart with, on the Wii. So I'm just gonna say I don't it's know. Not me. No, it wasn't you or I. But anyway, several broken controllers. No though. one puts their hands up. Um, so where else? You talked about broadcasting. Where's where there's. There's events that are broadcasted down there, and all that can be found on the website, or is there yep. channels? or Durham College has verified Twitch and Mixer channels. We're very lucky to fall under the Twitch student and under the Mixer programs. They're pushing a lot of educational content. They want to see college and universities branching into the esports space, so they're very smart, and they'll offer verified channels to push you in the right direction. So is it just Durham College under Twitch and Mixer? or Durham College esports. Perfect. All right. Uh, we'll have links to all that stuff. Well, you'll have links to all yeah, that we'll, stuff. Yeah, we'll put it all up there. So... Uh, I think. Thanks so much for your yes, time. Yes, thank you very much. Yeah. This is awesome, and uh, I want your job. Well, congratulations on how to kick ass job, by the yes, way. This and is the awesome. work you did to get here. I mean, certainly anyone listening, and depending on where you are in our cohort that's listening, if you have kids, you can inspire them to turn something into a, a, amazing opportunities. And obviously, don't wait for it to be there. You can be a motivator, right? You can kind of innovate, think outside of that box. I mean, this whole story we have right here that Sarah shared with us is completely from the innovation of something that started that she could see further down. And, and she went one at it. And she, what you may think of esports, you may be completely wrong. So do research. Oh, yeah, check it, it out. Yeah, we, come on. We, we talk about being closed-minded all the time. Well, we try not to be. Well, Fast and the Furious, seriously. Anyways. What? Oh, no. It's an ongoing thing. Oh, no. Oh. It's I'm, the best series. <laughs> I'm the antagonist. By totally crapping on Fast and Furious. So this has been an hour-long uh, yeah. slow burn just to get you in a room with two people that actually yeah, enjoy Fast and Furious. Yeah, yeah, we'll take you down. Well, good. I found the two people. That'll be another Sorry. podcast yeah. altogether. Well, thank you very much. And uh, yes, this is great. Good luck with Fast and Furious 9, folks. I'm cutting that out. <laughs> and that's our interview with Sarah Wagg, the manager of the Durham College Esports Arena in Oshawa, Ontario. We hope you enjoyed the interview as much as we enjoyed putting it together for you. If you want to know more about the Durham College eSports program, you can head over to durhamcollege.ca slash eSports. If you want to check out some of their streaming, go to twitch.tv slash durhamcollegeesports or mixer.com slash durhamcollegeesports. Don't forget, you can always go to deadlygroundscoffee.ca 
pick up a bag or two of our favorite coffee, and use promo code HAPPYZEN at checkout for 15% off your order. If you order $80 or more, shipping is free anywhere in Canada. If you want to follow us on social media, we're at Happy Zen Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. You can search for The Happy Zen Podcast on Facebook. And be sure to subscribe and rate the podcast on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 